Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Aminder. I'm Alex, and I'll be your host for today's episode. In this episode, we'll be covering papers published in January 2021 that focus on metabolic, hemodynamic, and connectivity changes in the brain in Alzheimer's disease. This episode falls under the category of Diagnostic Tools for Imaging in AD. We'll be going into recent research that looks at how we can use brain imaging to study metabolism, changes in blood flow, and neural connections within the brain to predict disease onset and progression. So stay tuned. Welcome to Aminder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. Okay, let's get started. We have 26 papers to go through today, the first two being grouped under the category metabolism, the next six under the category hemodynamic, then we have nine papers within the connectivity category, and finally nine miscellaneous papers grouped under other although we also have some further subcategories within that, which you'll hear about later in this episode. If any of the abstracts I'll be summarizing interest you, be sure to check out our bibliography for this episode after listening. You can find it by checking out the episode notes. We'll take a short break about halfway through the episode in case you need to stretch your legs or grab a quick drink or a snack. The first set of papers we'll be discussing today focus on brain metabolism as it relates to Alzheimer's disease. The brain uses up a significant proportion of the body's glucose storage, at roughly 20%. Because the brain needs such a large amount of energy for its daily functioning, we can use brain imaging to find any disturbances in brain glucose metabolism as an indicator for neurological changes. Let's take a look at the first paper in this group, by first author Jing, last author Dong. This work is published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease, and the title is Correlation between brain 18F AV45 and 18F FDG pet distribution characteristics and cognitive function in patients with mild and moderate Alzheimer's disease. The authors of this study wanted to investigate amyloid beta or A beta load and fluorodeoxyglucose or FDG metabolism in patients with AD to see whether any association with cognitive impairment existed. Using fluorbetapyr, or AB45, a PET imaging marker for amyloid burden, and fluorodeoxyglucose, or FDG, a marker for glucose metabolism in the brain, the researchers found that of the 2780 patients enrolled, 26 showed reduced FDG metabolism, and 22 had increased A-beta load. The authors report a positive correlation between reduced FDG metabolism and cognitive performance. However, no correlation was found between cognition and A-beta, or A-beta and FDG. They suggest that these findings are significant and in particular point to the potential use of FDG imaging as a diagnostic biomarker for AD in the future. Next up, we have paper number two, titled Validation of FDG PET Datasets of Normal Controls for the Extraction of SPM-Based Brain Metabolism Maps. This work is published in the European Journal of Nuclear Medicine and Molecular Imaging and is written by first author Kamenidi, last author Gobel. This investigation aimed to use existing 18F FDG PET brain imaging data on healthy controls to create a dataset of voxel-based brain metabolism maps at the individual level to use in future voxel-wise analyses. Using Cook's distance and jackknife analyses to exclude any outliers, 
The extracted hypometabolism maps were compared to standard reference healthy control data using DICE score analysis. They were then compared to hypometabolism data from patients with AD, behavioral variant frontotemporal dementia, and dementia with Lewy bodies. According to the researchers, they found a high overall concordance between the hypometabolism maps and the three patient cohorts using SPM TMAP classification, pointing to their validity for brain metabolism analysis in future research and clinical work. Okay, now we're moving on to our next section, hemodynamics, where we'll be learning about research on how brain imaging for cerebral blood flow sheds light on any neurological disease present within the brain. Paper 3 is the first paper in the section and was published in the journal Annals of Nuclear Medicine. First author is Oba, last author Suzuki. The title of this work is Comparison of Alzheimer's Disease Patients and Healthy Controls in the Easy Z-Score Imaging System with Differential Image Reconstruction Methods Using SPECT-CT Verification Using Normal Database of Our Institution. To diagnose dementia by cerebral blood flow activity and single photon emission computed tomography, or SPECT, a type of analysis called Easy Z-Score Imaging System, or EZIS, is often used. In this current study, the researchers constructed an Institutional Normal Database, or NDB, and 80 specific volumes of interest, or VOIs, in the EZIS analysis. This imaging system was then used to identify 80 patients from healthy controls with two types of image reconstruction in the EZIS analysis, filtered back projection, or FBP, and ordered subset expectation maximization, or OSEM. It is found that OSEM image reconstruction in EZIS analysis of SPECT data was better able to distinguish healthy controls from 80 individuals compared to FBP reconstruction. Let's dive into paper number four written by first author Leiden, last author Knight. This work is published in the Neuroimage Journal, and the title is Age-Related Normative Changes in Cerebral Perfusion, Data from the Irish Longitudinal Study on Aging. The authors of this current study aim to use pseudo-continuous arterial spin labeling, or PCASL, MR sequencing, to find any age-related changes in cerebral perfusion as reference values for cerebral blood flow gray matter, or CBFGM, measurements. Using a study cohort from the Irish Longitudinal Study on Aging, 468 individuals over the age of 50 underwent PCASL MRI imaging. A generalized additive models for location, shape, and scale method was used to estimate normative values of cerebral perfusion. Interestingly enough, they discovered age and sex differences in CBFGM, such that cerebral blood flow decreases with age and is higher in females compared to males. For more details on the methods and exact findings, check out the full paper in the Neuroimage Journal. Paper number five is a really interesting one that looks at the potential for retinal vessel density to shed light on cognitive functioning in AD individuals, a link that has recently gained traction in the research field. It's published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease, and the first author is Yan, last author Wang. The title is, The Retinal Vessel Density Can Reflect Cognitive Function in Patients with Alzheimer's Disease, Evidence from Optical Coherence, Tomography, and Geography. In this study, 3780 patients and 29 age-matched controls were enrolled. Optical coherence, tomography, and geography was used to analyze retinal layer thickness and vessel density while neuropsychological assessments were completed to measure cognition. 
The researchers report a positive correlation between retinal vessel density and some cognitive functions, including memory, executive function, and visual-spatial perception, and suggest that this could potentially be used in the future as a non-invasive biomarker for AD. Next up, we have paper number six, titled 18F FDG PET may differentiate cerebral amyloid angiopathy from Alzheimer's disease. This work is published in the European Journal of Neurology, and it's written by first author Bergeret, last author Barron. A condition known as cerebral amyloid angiopathy, or CAA, involves amyloid protein buildup in the arteries of the brain. This cerebrovascular disorder commonly causes intracerebral hemorrhage, as well as certain cognitive alterations in old age. The authors of this paper argue that since cognitively normal elderly individuals often display positive amyloid PET, this method for diagnosis of CAA is not reliable. And in their current investigation, they wanted to see whether they could demonstrate effective CAA distinction from AD using a different PET marker, 18F-FDG, which is typically available through standard care. FDG imaging has previously been found to correlate well with amyloid PET positivity in AD, Using a retrospective approach, they looked at a large memory clinic database and identified patients with probable CAA and those demonstrating AD criteria. The authors suggest that the FDG data demonstrated similar findings as amyloid PET and was able to distinguish CAA from AD cases, but larger prospective studies are needed to further validate these findings. Our next work Paper number seven is written by first author Yamada, last author Nozaki, and the title is Quantification of Oscillatory Shear Stress from Reciprocating CSF Motion on 4D Flow Imaging. This work is published in the American Journal of Neuroradiology. As the title suggests, the researchers of this paper wanted to see whether oscillatory shear stress in the cerebral aqueduct and foramen magnum could be measured through CSF motion on 4D flow imaging. To do this, they measured oscillatory shear stress, wall shear stress, and oscillatory shear index in individuals with idiopathic normal pressure hydrocephalus, individuals with hydrocephalus and AD dementia, and also in healthy controls. It was found that oscillatory shear stress and wall shear stress in the cerebral aqueduct were higher in hydrocephalus individuals compared to controls and those with concurrent hydrocephalus and AD dementia. The researchers conclude that 4D flow imaging can effectively measure oscillatory shear stress, and these measures are able to identify idiopathic normal pressure hydrocephalus. So we've reached the final paper in this section, which is paper number 8, and it's titled Non-Invasive Standardized Uptake Value for Verification of the Use of Previously Validated Reference Region for 18F-Fluorotausapir and 18F-Fluorobitapir Brain PET Studies. First author is De Vries, last author Gola, and this work is published in the Molecular Imaging and Biology Journal. Here, researchers wanted to find effective non-invasive standardized uptake value, or SUV, approaches for validation of cerebellum as reference region in PET imaging in AD. Their primary aim was to avoid arterial sampling in elderly individuals and those with advanced stages of disease where these kinds of invasive methods are really difficult. Dynamic 18F fluorotosapir PET scans were conducted on 80 patients, as well as healthy controls. It was found that the non-invasive SUV demonstrated a lack of tracer binding in gray matter cerebellum, validating its use as a non-invasive method for reference tissue identification. Okay, we've made it to the connectivity subsection of this episode. 
Here we'll take a closer look at how functional connectivity in brain networks is altered in the disease state. There are several papers in here that use deep learning, and the jargon can get a little confusing at times. I'll try my best to explain the terms in simple language, so bear with me. Let's start with paper number 9, published in Alzheimer's Research and Therapy. The first author is Eng, last author Zhao. And the title of this work is Distinct Network Topology in Alzheimer's Disease and Behavioral Variant Frontotemporal Dementia. Behavioral Variant Frontotemporal Dementia, or BVFTD, commonly presents with behavioral and personality changes, while AD typically presents with more memory and visuospatial impairments. There's previous research suggesting that certain large-scale brain networks are disrupted in these two neurological disorders. This includes the default mode network, or DMN, a brain state in which individuals are undergoing passive rest or mind-wandering. The salience network, a brain network involved in detecting salient stimuli in the environment, and the frontoparietal control network, which is involved in executive function. Research on whether internetwork associations and whole brain topology are also altered in AD and BVFTD is limited. To look into this research question, the authors completed resting state fMRI brain imaging and neuropsychological assessment on 111 participants, 50 of which were AD, 14 BVFTD, and 47 age and gender matched healthy controls to see whether any alterations in these networks existed in the two disorders, and whether any alterations were related to cognitive or behavioral changes. Using functional connectivity in graph theoretical analyses, they were able to discern lower integration of the default and control networks in AD individuals, and disrupted integration of the salience network in BVFTD. The researchers conclude that these findings show that AD and BVFTD display distinct alterations to brain network topology, which is in line with their opposite pathological characteristics. Next up, we have paper number 10, which uses some deep learning. This is written by first author Zhang, last author Cheng, in the Brain and Behavior Journal. The title of their work is Brain Network Construction and Analysis for Patients with Mild Cognitive Impairment in Alzheimer's Disease, based on highly available notes approach. The current study aimed to use brain network and graph theory, a connectivity analysis that has become increasingly popular within the scientific community, to assess changes in brain function in AD and MCI. According to the authors, various previously used methods have shown limited results, and so here they proposed creating a nodes approach for brain network construction of MCI and AD patients. The researchers used resting state fMRI data from AD participants, MCI participants, and normal controls taken from the ADNI database to create weighted brain networks based on the sparsity and minimum spanning tree, which in very simple terms means using the lowest total length needed for a branching network. They also conducted hub node analysis to look for any areas that have a high density of connections within the brain networks. They were able to classify MCI and AD networks from healthy control networks with an accuracy of 74% and 77% respectively. In the hub node analysis came up with 18 distinct hub nodes. Overall, the authors of this paper suggest that this connectivity analysis method is effective in its representation of brain networks within these neurological disorders and can help us better understand AD progression. Let's now turn to paper 11. This is written by first author Schumacher, last author Taylor, and it's published in the International Psychogeriatrics Journal. The title is Functional Connectivity of the Nucleus Basalis of Maynard in Lewy Body Dementia and Alzheimer's Disease. A hallmark feature shared by both AD and Lewy Body Dementia, or LBD, is cholinergic deficits. 
Considering that the nucleus basalis of Maynard, or NBM, is a collection of cholinergic neurons in the forebrain, the authors of this current paper wanted to see whether studying the NBM's functional connectivity could shed any light on cholinergic deficits in these two neurogenerative disorders. They recruited 46 LBD patients, 29 AD patients, and 31 healthy age-matched controls, and completed resting state fMRI on each of these participants. Functional connectivity between the MBM and the rest of the brain was determined using seed-based analysis in both the left and right hemispheres. Interestingly enough, their analysis found associations between both the right and left NBM and right and left occipital lobe, which is the visual processing center in the brain, in patients with LBD compared to healthy controls. The author suggests that this indicates disruptive connectivity between the NBM and visual areas in Lewy body dementia. Feel free to read the entire article for more details. Up next is paper 12, published in Cerebral Cortex. This work is written by first author Ramirez Torano, last author Maestu, and the title is Functional Connectivity Hypersynchronization in Relatives of Alzheimer's Disease Patients, an Early EI Balance Dysfunction. Previous AD research has suggested that hyperexcitation and hypersynchronization within the brain can result in neurodegeneration. However, the effect of this neurological disruption on functional brain networks is understudied. To look into this further, the researchers behind this current study used magnetoencephalography, or MEG, to assess functional connectivity in 80 patients versus age-matched controls. Looking specifically at alpha wave activity in the brain, they were able to find frontoparietal networks in relatives of AD patients that showed hypersynchronization compared to age-matched controls. The authors conclude that this is the first study to demonstrate this hypersynchronization phenomena as being related to AD, and they suggest that further investigation in this area is needed. The next abstract for paper number 13 uses a lot of machine learning jargon, but I'll try my best to simplify some of the terms. The first author is Singh, last author is Shen, and the work is published in Cerebral Cortex. The title of the paper is DSGCNs, Connectome Classification Using Dynamic Spectral Graph Convolution Networks with Assistant Task Training. Here, the author has used a new graph convolutional network method, or GCN, to isolate any existing disease-related signatures from functional connectivity maps. In very simple terms, GCNs involve applying a filter to an input to get an activation and repeated filter application which creates a feature map, where you can discern the location and strengths of a certain feature in the original input. The researchers use demographic data from 80 patients as outputs to guide the feature detection, including gender and age. To test the validity of this new machine learning method, they applied the GCN to the ADNI dataset to discern 80 patients from healthy controls and found an accuracy of 90% for classification using their novel GCN method. Feel free to check out the full article for more details. Let's take a short break here as we're at the halfway mark in our series of papers for this episode. You can go grab a drink or a snack if you want, and when you come back, we'll look at some more work using deep learning to study connectivity changes in AD. Hey listeners, I'm here to let you know Aminder is recruiting. If you're interested in joining us, shoot us an email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back. Our next paper, paper 14, is titled A Graph Gaussian Embedding Method for Predicting Alzheimer's Disease Progression with MEG Brain Networks, 
The first author is Zhu, last author Pentasis. And this work is published in IEEE Transactions on Biomedical Engineering. Like in the previous paper we went over before the break, the authors of the study similarly developed a new deep learning method. However, here they aim to use the multiple graph Gaussian embedding model, or MG2G, to characterize any changes in functional brain connectivity associated with disease progression in AD. In more simple terms, MG2G uses resting state brain network mapping to quantify any changes in brain connectivity within various regions of the brain. Here, they specifically use this MG2G method on MEG brain networks to predict patterns of progression of mild cognitive impairment to AD, as well as brain regions with changes in connectivity that are associated with MCI. For more information on their findings, please check out the full paper. Continuing on with papers using deep learning, we have paper 15 up next, written by first author Smith, last author Ansys, and this work is published in Brain Connectivity. The title is Resting State Functional Connectivity Disruption as a Pathological Biomarker in Autosomal Dominant Alzheimer's Disease. Here, researchers computed global functional connectivity matrices, GFCs, made up of multiple resting state networks, or RSNs, for study participants to look at any disease-related signatures associated with autosomal dominant AD. GFC was used to estimate functional connectivity strength. Participants included mutation carriers identified from the dominantly inherited Alzheimer network, or DIAN, and non-carriers. These GFCs were then compared to established pathological biomarkers for AD, including amyloid, tau, and neurodegeneration biomarkers, obtained using PET, CSF, and structural MRI, respectively. They found that the calculated GFCs were reduced in mutation carriers compared to non-carriers, and correlated with various amyloid PET and CSF tau biomarkers, as well as hippocampal volume. It was noted, too, that early changes in the GFC were related to CSF amyloid measures, while later changes were related to hippocampal volume. As we approach the end of this subsection, let's take a look at paper 16, published in Frontiers in Cell and Developmental Biology. First author is Zhao, last author Wang, and the title is Constructing Dynamic Functional Networks via Weighted Regularization and Tensor Low Rank Approximation for Early Mild Cognitive Impairment Classification. According to the authors of this paper, typical brain functional networks used to classify early mild cognitive impairment have a critical limitation which is the inability to reflect individual differences in functional connections. To overcome this, they developed a new dynamic functional network, or DFN, that uses weighted regularization and tensor low-rank approximation, and assessed whether it could accurately classify early MCI from normal controls. Interestingly enough, the classification accuracy they found for this DFN method was 87%. According to the authors, their method even outperformed more typical methods used for early MCI classification. They suggest that this finding can be reworked in the future to achieve even more efficient early MCI classification and might be used as a reference for early ED diagnosis. And we've reached the final paper within the subsection of connectivity, paper 17. This work is titled, Regional Strength of Large-Scale Functional Brain Networks is Associated with Regional Volumes in Older Adults and in Alzheimer's Disease. The first author is Sarli, last author Veneri, and this work is published in Brain Connectivity. Using multimodal brain magnetic resonance imaging, 
The authors of this paper looked into the relationships between regional volumes and resting state functional networks in the three different brain networks, the default mode network, the salience network, and the sensory motor network, which are all affected by AD pathology to varying degrees. 148 total participants were enrolled and consisted of those with AD, MCI, and healthy controls. The authors carried out various partial correlation models, including ROI to ROI, ROI to voxel, and voxel to voxel correlation models. They found that the left insula and right parietal lobe were positively associated with the DMN, while the left parietal lobe was positively associated with the salience network in AD. They also discovered an association between the posterior cingulate cortex and the sensory motor network. They were not, however, able to find any significant associations among regions and networks in MCI individuals. The authors conclude that AD pathology differentially affects various distinct brain networks and can therefore influence associations between regional volumes and functional networks. So now we reach our final section of this episode, the miscellaneous subsection. These are papers that don't quite fit into any of the categories we've gone through thus far, although I've further classified them into papers looking for new biomarkers of AD, papers focusing on mild cognitive impairment, and finally, we also have two papers that really are standalone in their topics. Let's first look at a few papers that are centered around novel biomarkers for AD. Paper 18 starts off this final subsection and is written by first author Blazinets, last author Meyer, and is published in Neurology. The title is Validation of the Alzheimer Disease Dementia Conversion-Related Pattern as an ATN Biomarker of Neurodegeneration. In the current study, researchers wanted to see whether Alzheimer's disease dementia conversion-related pattern, or ADCRP, could potentially be used as a prognostic biomarker for AD development in 18 FDG PET imaging. 269 subjects were included in the study. PET imaging, as well as phosphorylated and total tau levels in CSF and neurofilament light chain levels in plasma, were used to sort subjects into groups. These included subjects displaying amyloid deposition, group A, pathological tau presence, group T, both amyloid and tau, AT, or neither. It was found that ADCRP was significantly higher in individuals displaying both amyloid and tau compared to all other subject groups, and significantly predicted progression to dementia. The researchers conclude that ADCRP could serve as a useful biomarker for neurodegeneration in those with mild cognitive impairment and conversion to AD dementia. Next up, we have paper 19, which is titled Evaluation of Sodium-23 MR Imaging as a Biomarker and Predictor for Neurodegenerative Changes in Patients with Alzheimer's Disease. The first author is Mohammed, last author Curl, and is published in the In Vivo Journal. This study aimed to evaluate the potential for sodium MR imaging as a biomarker for the prediction of neurodegeneration in AD, like the title suggests. Sodium-23 MR imaging is a non-invasive imaging technique that is typically used to look at tissue cell viability and cell function. In this study, scanning on a 3T scanner was conducted for 14 patients with AD and 12 healthy controls to look for differences in sodium-23 signal intensity. It was found that AD individuals displayed higher relative tissue sodium concentration compared to controls in various brain regions. Therefore, they proposed sodium-23 as a potential biomarker for AD diagnosis. Please see the full paper for more details on their findings. 
The next few papers in this miscellaneous subcategory are all focused on mild cognitive impairment, or MCI in particular. MCI is known to often precede full-blown AD diagnosis and is considered an early stage of AD. Let's begin with paper 20, published in Behavioral Brain Research. The title is, A Study of Regional Homogeneity of Resting State Functional Magnetic Resonance Imaging in Mild Cognitive Impairment. This work is written by first author Liu, last author Zhao. Here, researchers aim to identify regional changes in brain activity using resting state functional magnetic resonance imaging as diagnostic predictive markers for MCI. The study involved individuals with MCI as well as age and gender-matched healthy controls. Interestingly enough, the resting state MRI data suggested that MCI patients had lower regional homogeneity in the right temporal gyrus, left angular gyrus, and superior marginal gyrus, all areas involved in language. They conclude that the right hemispheric language network might be altered in MCI and could shed light on disease progression if studied further. Paper number 21 is titled Classification Accuracy of TMS for the Diagnosis of Mild Cognitive Impairment. First author is Benussi, last author Barani, and this work is published in Brain Stimulation. Here, researchers applied a random forest classifier on transcranial magnetic stimulation, or TMS, in patients with MCI diagnosis. In simple terms, random forest classification is a type of classification algorithm that combines many different decision trees. Using this technique, the researchers assessed TMS data in patients displaying a wide variety of different MCI diagnoses, including MCI-AD, MCI frontotemporal dementia, and MCI dementia with Lewy bodies as well as healthy controls. Their aim was to see how accurate and precise the random forest classifier was in differentiating these various MCI conditions from one another and from healthy controls. After data analysis, it was found that the classifier was able to classify the neurodegenerative disorders with high precision and accuracy, as hoped. And up next we have paper 22, written by first author Jang, last author Abner, from the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. The title is Memory-Related Frontal Brain Waves Predict Transition to Mild Cognitive Impairment in Healthy Older Individuals Five Years Before Diagnosis. Here, researchers used electrophysiological brain signals measured during active working memory tasks to look for memory-related neuromarkers of MCI in cognitively normal older adults. Interestingly enough, the EEG and memory performance recordings were found to be associated with certain MCI-like features and could even predict onset of MCI roughly five years before clinical diagnosis in a subset of these individuals. The author suggests that neuromarkers found through EEG recordings of memory tasks could potentially serve as an early detection system for MCI development. Let's now turn to paper 23, titled Lower Functional Hippocampal Redundancy in Mild Cognitive Impairment. This work is published in Translational Psychiatry, and is written by first author Langella, last author Diane. In this study, researchers wanted to see whether redundancy in the brain, specifically the hippocampus, can have a neuroprotective effect against cognitive decline in MCI. Redundancy in the brain is when duplicate elements in a system are present and can provide compensation if one part of the network fails. The researchers hypothesized that functional redundancy would occur in the hippocampus since this is where the earliest signs of AD pathology typically occur. Using resting state functional MRI data from healthy adults, 
as well as people with early and late MCI, they found that posterior hippocampal redundancy was lower in MCI individuals compared to cognitively normal individuals, and higher redundancy was associated with higher memory performance in the cognitively normal group. They conclude that functional hippocampal redundancy can provide protection against cognitive decline, and this finding warrants further study. The next paper, paper number 24, is the final piece that's focused on MCI. It's published in Alzheimer's Research and Therapy by first author Lang, last author Deng. The title is Recurrent and Concurrent Patterns of Regional Bowl Dynamics and Functional Connectivity Dynamics in Cognitive Decline. Using resting state functional MRI, the authors of this paper looked into any associations between two dynamic brain states found to be correlated with cognitive decline. Specifically, they looked for any recurrent or concurrent patterns of spontaneous neural activity and dynamic functional connectivity in subjective cognitive decline and mild cognitive decline impairment cases. Using sliding window and clustering analysis, they were able to find both recurrent and concurrent patterns between neural activity and functional connectivity in individuals with cognitive decline. The authors suggest that these patterns might be used as objective neuroimaging biomarkers for early detection of AD in the future. Check out the full paper in Alzheimer's Research and Therapy for more details on their findings. And finally, we're at the last two papers in this episode that really don't fall into any of the previous categories we've discussed. Let's begin with paper 25, written by first author Zhang, last author Ding, published in the American Chemical Society Censors Journal. The title of their work is Fluorescent Determination of Butyral Cholinesterase Activity and its application in biological imaging and pesticide residue detection. The human cholinesterase, butyral cholinesterase, or BCHE, is an enzyme that breaks down choline-based esters in the body and is involved in liver conditions and neurodegenerative disorders such as AD, where BCHE is overexpressed. The authors of this paper wanted to detect BCHE levels using efficient chemical tools and biological imaging for potential neurodegenerative disease diagnosis. It was found that the background-free detection strategy developed by these researchers was indeed able to accurately detect BCHE presence enough to help with disease diagnosis, although further research is needed. Last but not least is paper 26, titled Iron Content in Deep Gray Matter as a Function of Age Using Quantitative Susceptibility Mapping, a Multicenter Study. The first author is Lee, last author Hack. This work is published in Frontiers in Neuroscience. Here, researchers aim to use quantitative susceptibility mapping, or QSM, to look at iron content in deep gray matter in the brain. Ultimately, they wanted to create a susceptibility baseline as a function of age for different gray matter regions in the brain, using global and regional analyses. Healthy adults ages 20 to 90 from various study sites were recruited for MR imaging with QSM. According to the authors, imaging showed a positive correlation between a susceptibility and age in the caudate nucleus, putamen, red nucleus, substantia nigra, and dentate nucleus. They also found a negative correlation with age in the thalamus. I suggest you check out the full paper for more detailed findings, but the authors do conclude that the iron content estimates could be used to correct for age-related iron changes in future research. And that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, each episode comes with a bibliography, which you can get by signing up for a mailing list. 
For details, please check out the episode notes after listening. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Are you curious about being a part of Aminder? Send us an email with your CV and let us know what you'd want to do as part of the team. No experience is required, just an interest and enthusiasm for SciComm. Thanks to the team for making this episode possible. For Ellen and Jax for sorting the abstracts in the episode, Melissa for reviewing my script, Ellen for reviewing my recording, Maggie for the bibliography, Sarah for the word cloud, and Christy for uploading this episode to our new YouTube channel. Music credits go to Anusha Kamesh. You can find her on SoundCloud and on YouTube under AQ Music. We hope you find this podcast useful. As always, our main goal at Aminder is to bring value to the scientific community by making publications accessible for anyone and everyone interested in staying up to date on the latest neuroscience research. We hope to have you back here soon. Bye for now.